Same China, different stories. We are the ones that found our way in a new life. Adopted babies, adopted babies from China. I'm Tara, and I'm Katie. Hello. Hello. It's another day, and I would like to get right into it as. First, about our interest in adoption and how it has changed or maybe not changed for you and for me. Yeah. Um, so I've actually felt a strong connection to my adoption and my story since I was young. My sister uh, is a little younger than us, but she is also adopted from China. Of course, it does go without saying that in any transracial adoption, we do not look like our parents. I bring this up because it's funny when sometimes people ask if we were told we were adopted. I just wanted to include that. I admit my interest in learning more about my adoption came later, even as recent as a couple of years ago. I guess, well, for me,、uh, it actually goes beyond my immediate family, and adoption is common in my extended family too.、Um, I have my mom's one of eight, and I have a couple aunts and uncles who adopted. Kids from different countries, so I have a lot of cousins from,、uh, I guess, a lot of different places in the world: Nepal, Guatemala, and China.、Um, and my mom's mom was also adopted, but domestically in Boston. So, yeah, a lot of adoption on my side. That's right. I was pretty surprised to learn how many of your extended family also has adoption. I imagine. I don't know if we've talked about this. That it's probably a very common conversation topic in large gatherings. Did Did you guys have like big family reunions? It actually surprisingly hasn't been a really common topic throughout. Like I guess the the times all my cousins have been together and all the times we, you know, grew up with each other as adoptees.、Um, but over the years, my family has had large reunions. And most of my family lives on the East Coast in the U.S.,、uh, which makes it easy to get together. Do you think you would have had as much of an interest in your adoption if it wasn't such a common family trait? I say trait as if it were a physical characteristic, which I guess in a way it kind of is for your family. Yeah,、um, that's a good question. I mean, I think that is a part of why I was always interested because. It just seemed that everyone had their own story, and everyone dealt with adoption differently. But yet, because we didn't really talk about it, there was always just that question of, you know, what was this person thinking? What was this person going through? And a lot of my cousins too are different ages, so the range of adoptees in our family go from like forty years old to me in the twenties to my youngest cousin who's like maybe thirteen, I think. So it has. Quite a range, but I yeah I've always felt a strong connection in my roots. What about you? So for me, I didn't feel as strong of a connection to adoption, and even some ways actually being Chinese as well. I think it's also because the area I grew up in is very diverse, but a lot of the friendships I made and a lot of people that I interacted with were white. To be frank,、uh, a lot of my close friends over the years, and then also in high school, they were white. Uh, and then I went to a university where diversity was not as prominent, and there was also even a distinguished culture difference. I want to say also with Asian Americans and also the students who came from China. 
Um, so we're all speak. We're both speaking in terms of university in the U.S. Um, but I don't want to digress too much on the topic of race because I think even that could be its own episode. Yeah. But yeah. Ha- I don't know if you agree or what you what your take is as well. Oh yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, in addition to being a Chinese adoptee, I guess Asian American, uh, I've also thought about being Chinese. And the expectation that uh, comes with it, too. And um, I guess for me, you know, growing up, there was a huge life event that really impacted my view on adoption and just my, my family in America and my place in the world. And following that event, uh, which triggered a lot of things, I found out I had more of a stronger connection to my adoption than I thought I did. That's right. I know you're in the process of writing a memoir related to your story, which I'm sure takes a lot of dedication and really living in your story, too. Yes. Um, I'm currently writing about actually two life events, one of them being adoption and one being about my dad. And they both have had a strong impact on me as a person and as a writer and as an adoptee. So I think that is ultimately what has helped me and grounded me in understanding my adoption, my story, and my place in the world, like I mentioned earlier. And I guess just when you put it all together, just identity. I would like to preface here that I feel you and I both share a different level of interest, especially with like our own stories and our identity too at the moment. Um, I guess that's what makes this process a little bit more challenging too with writing and looking into our voices. I would agree, yes. Um, I've been able to connect with a couple adoptees throughout the years, um, some including people I've met on 23andMe, like distant, I mean, five generations distance of cousins. Um, And I've heard some really compelling stories. And I think by doing this podcast, you're definitely reaching a stronger level of interest. Um, And we're also able to give each other perspective from these two different mediums of writing and listening and talking and hearing and they're just such different senses of course and I think they help us interact with adoption on different levels. I'm able to control who will read my work until I become published and right now I know I've given you a couple drafts and we've talked about them and I've also just gave a couple of my family just a very select few and that has been a great uh, you know resource for me in terms of controlling who can see my work. Uh, but through podcasting, you may not know who is listening. And uh, at least with writing the memoir and, and doing a lot of research, I'm learning more and more about my story. I bet with the thesis program as well that you've been exposed to different ways of looking at your own connection to your story. That's an assumption on my part and maybe some others. Uh, I thought this would be a great segue into resources, which is something else I wanted to ask you about. Let's take a break. I know for your thesis and your memoir, you had to do a fair amount of research. Was there any type of resources that you used specifically to help you? Uh, Yeah, Uh, I used, honestly, uh, websites, just kind of looking up history about China, as well as the history of adoptees in America, and 
what it's like for like uh, you know an adoptee growing up in America. Um, I have used YouTube as well. I just found it really cathartic to watch videos of how people, you know, express their stories about adoption and even adoptees who go back and find their families. Like all of it really fascinates me um, on YouTube. And I guess the the biggest draw for me and the biggest resource has been documentaries. Um, there's one in particular called Somewhere in Between, which is a woman who uh, is a filmmaker herself, and she adopts a girl from China when she's a baby, and she creates a documentary for her daughter for like years and years ahead of her time when she's finally, you know, old enough to understand that she's adopted, basically. And this woman goes around for like I think three years, maybe more, and she documents the lives of like five different adoptees with really, really different stories. And it's it was in, I think, 2011. And it was in uh, Sundance Films, I think. But it was really captivating. And that was eye-opening to really understand the, the spectrums of adoption and how adoptees feel about being adopted and China. Somewhere in between. Okay. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I've heard of it. I feel like I have. There was a there was definitely a Netflix movie with like the Korean adopted sisters that was intriguing too. Yes, I did see that too actually. I forgot about that one. Yes. I forget what it's called. It's Twinsters, I think. Oh, Twinsters. I would say the only resource that I've really utilized is social media and podcasts. Well, podcasts really only for learning Mandarin. My dad had given me some books and tapes as well, which were helpful, but podcasts with learning a new language is great. And then with social media, though, I feel like many of us are guilty of overusing it, especially during our teen years. Uh, I slowed down and I took a huge break from even Facebook and only stuck to Instagram. And then a couple of years ago, I rejoined Facebook because when Googling for Chinese adoption groups and ways to connect with other Chinese adoptees, the Facebook group was one of the first and only resources that I saw. So it's also been helpful because recently I posted to Facebook and received an email, adoptedbabiesfromchina@gmail.com, that someone wanted to chat before I even published the trailer. I was sort of surprised, but it's effective. The groups and stuff on Facebook and then also on Reddit, I posted to there about the podcast, too. And I actually heard from a couple of Chinese adoptees, one from Finland and one from Singapore. So reaching that international level may be doable. Oh, yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, social media and some of the organizations have really made it easier to connect with other adoptees. It's honestly how I connected with adoptees, too. Like, the Facebook groups, um, and even, I'm, I'm trying to think what other groups I'm a part of, but it's, it's not just Facebook. <laughs> Word of mouth has already been allowing me to connect with other adoptees. I know I messaged you the other evening about how I was watching a Chinese adoptees YouTube channel, <laughs> all the videos and reading the comments of this one individual. He grew up in New York, by the way, and I think he actually currently lives in New York. But his story looked really interesting, and I was super excited. Maybe it could be because we've been isolated. I don't want to say his name, because at one point I do want to contact him. The, the connection that actually introduced me to this person's channel, it's interesting you said YouTube, because 
a lot of his stuff is about his adoption story too. It was actually an acquaintance that I was speaking with and saying, Hey, I'm doing a podcast. And that's how she connected me. So watching the videos, all of his videos, which were maybe eight so far, uh, I definitely felt a positive energy. And that is why I wanted to do this podcast. I would hope that other Chinese adoptees or people that have, again, by people who've been impacted by Chinese adoptees could relate and also feel that positive energy. Absolutely. I really like that idea. It's great to see other adoptees share their stories. Are there, I guess, concluding the resources conversation, any that you were able to find as a kid or even now that made you feel more connected to your story? There actually, there's definitely more resources than there ever were when I was a kid. And if, you know, if we're putting ourselves in a kid's shoes, the most, I guess the closest I got to resources was reading about other people's stories of different races that didn't feel like they belonged. Like nothing about adoption or being Chinese or being Asian American, but just, I guess I could relate through movies and books and um, I guess even like children's books of how kids didn't always feel like they belonged, whether it be skin color or just anything to do with identity. But more recently, the most recent documentary that I saw, I forgot to mention it up there, so I'm actually glad you asked this one more time, was One Child Nation. And I, I know you've seen it as well, and I know a lot of adoptees have seen it. And it, it's made quite a headway, and that was really impactful on how I perceived adoption, my story, and China. Oh, yes, that's a pretty popular documentary right now that's been discussed, has a lot of buzz, I would say. It was pretty, pretty disturbing, too, some of the content that they covered. And I have to admit, I'm, pr- I'm pretty surprised that I decided to form a podcast surrounding Chinese adoptees, especially considering my connection was really not that strong <laughs> to, to my adoption or our adoption or any Chinese adoptee story, too. I mean, I am really thankful for the timing, because if it were not for when I decided to join the Facebook group where that's how we connected... I don't think we would have connected, actually, if it had been any time earlier. I probably wouldn't have seen your post, especially because your post was timely, too. I I also know when over the holidays in the U.S., there was a lot of time for me to listen to podcasts. And that's when I was sort of, the idea came to me because when searching for podcasts about Chinese adoption, there were more podcasts about adoption in general. Uh, this this is a fun project to start when we are all forced to stay in. I know that I've spoken with quite a few people recently through video chat. I'm sure you have too. And I laugh, but I actually had to apply for unemployment with the other 16 plus million Americans who are also facing this same situation. Not sure how it is on an international level, but this is pretty intense. I wanted to also ask you how being forced to stay in has impacted you, especially since you are in New York. Uh, yes. Um, well, uh, unlike 
the majority of people right now in the world. Uh, this has actually been a silver lining, if there's any silver lining in this coronavirus era right now. But I found a lot of time to write, um, and more than I ever thought I could during this time where I'm actually in a crunch for thesis. So I've been very grateful to be inside and writing and forced to stay inside and writing. I know we talked about how guilty I feel for being able to do to do this, and I still feel guilty, but it just, I guess it just lined up. But uh, the trade is, I won't be graduating in person, so that's okay. I'm with everyone else there who's oh, yeah. graduating this year who won't be able to walk. On a more realistic like level, aside from writing, um, I've been very grateful to be here uh, with a job still working from home. And that balance has sometimes been hard with writing, as well as doing whatever, which is getting groceries and balance and live their lives still and routine. I'm lucky. I'm one of the few that have a car, thanks to my boyfriend. Um, so we've been just driving to groceries. And occasionally we've been uh, blessed with Indian food from his family. So that's made it a lot you know, easier than it than it could have been, and I'm very grateful for that too. The small things and the big things, they totally all add up and they come to a head, especially being in New York. Jeez, I, I bet that you had more traffic at the market than I did because I, I had to go get, I actually had to go get toilet paper for my family, and it just so happens that you had to pass the chocolate and sale Easter candy. So, of course, I indulged. There wasn't nearly as many people as I'm sure that you encountered. And the stock of the candy in the area that I'm living in currently, which is near D.C., also in the U.S., there was a lot, even for the day after. So it's sort of surprising the probably the amount that's being wasted. But I know when this is all over and when we're able to, it'll be great to co-host together in person. Because in addition to learning how to podcast, especially on a technical level, to being in person, it won't be as hard. I know personally for me, I've been doing the 60-day fitness challenge with a company called Runderwear. They are a fitness undergarment company based in the UK, and they've just been putting on videos and their 20-minute workouts, which has been very helpful. And also... The funny thing is I've been, I have been training for a run in New York that was supposed to be May 16th. It also cracks me up because signing up for this run was an event in itself. The day that I had signed up, which I think was two months ago, it took four hours that day. And then also on entertainment level, I heard that there in the Marvel Phase 4 universe, there's going to be a Chinese-focused yeah, a Chinese-focused oh, superhero, wow. I believe. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be... I heard that from another friend. So That's awesome. Joining <laughs> joining the, I guess, the Asian-American wave <laughs> on this level. So I found new entertainment. Actually, I don't usually watch too much YouTube, but I'm going to go back to this adoptees channel because I noticed the person who has this channel started videos... I think two years ago. And then recently, just this year, he's been getting pretty creative with the content that he's putting out there because he's also in New York, but he's isolated. And it's been pretty entertaining to see 
this person who I don't know at all and their channel. I do want to contact this guy, but on his videos, I watched them all. I only commented on one. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. To come on the show and tell us his story. I know. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, well, now that I've creeped and stalked him, hopefully he would still come on. <laughs> but, <laughs> I would hope so. On that note, might be best to end this episode because I might have developed a little crush while in quarantine. This has been ABC. Thank you for listening. If you are a Chinese adoptee or somebody who wants to share their story, please contact adoptedbabiesfromchina at gmail.com. Until next time.